I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. In today's reading, we'll be looking at the four chapters that comprise the book of Malachi. Now, we don't know exactly when Malachi prophesied. We do know that it had to have been written after the rebuilding of Zerubbabel's temple, completed in 515 B.C. Good scholars disagree on their preference for an exact date after 515 B.C., However, we do have strong clues that would help us zero in more closely on on a relatively exact date. To help us zero in on a more exact date, let's establish a few events that we know took place and the dates that took place. First of all, we know that those exiled from Judah and Jerusalem to Babylon began returning in 535 B.C. We see that in Ezra chapter 1. Zerubbabel, who was governor and descendant of King David, with the assistance of prophets Haggai and Zechariah, they led the people to rebuild the temple in 515 B.C. We see that in Ezra chapter 3. Ezra, the priest and scribe, arrived in Jerusalem with more exiles in 458 B.C. We see that in Ezra chapter 7. Now, Nehemiah arrived in 445 B.C. with the authority to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. He assumed the position of the governor of Israel, and that's seen in Nehemiah chapter 2. In Nehemiah's twelfth year as governor, that would have been 434-433 B.C., he returned to Persia for an unspecified period of time. We see that by comparing Nehemiah 5.14 with Nehemiah 13.6. Malachi began his prophetic ministry in Judah. We have no exact time indicated, but the temple had been rebuilt. There's also a notable deficiency in the way the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem were worshiping and caring for the temple. That would suggest that Malachi's ministry was active sometime after 434 B.C. when Nehemiah had returned to Persia. So let's begin reading with chapter 1, verse 1. We have a prophecy against the Edomites. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob. And I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see and shall say, The Lord be magnified from the border of Israel. The Edomites were descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. Throughout history, Jewish history, they'd experienced some good times, but no more. Malachi's prophecy for these people is bleak, gone forever. Their land had been east of south Israel. However, they were driven out of their land into the southern part of Judah, never to return to their own land ever again. Edom had sought to block Israel's first entrance into Canaan back in 
Numbers chapter 20 verses 14 to 21 and also Numbers chapter 24 verses 15 through 19. There are a number of conflicts with the Edomites uh, between Israel and the Edomites. We see that there were conflicts in Saul's time, Solomon's time, Jehoshaphat's time, Jehoram's time, and Ahaz's time. Other prophets also prophesied concerning Edom. We see that Isaiah did so in Isaiah chapter 11, Jeremiah and Jeremiah 49, Ezekiel 25, Daniel 11, Amos 2, and the whole book of Obadiah. So these Edomites get a good bit of Bible time prophecies against that nation. During the period between the Testaments, the Maccabean period, John Hyrcanus compelled the people to become Jews and to submit to circumcision. By New Testament times, we see these people in Judah identified as people from Idumea. That's in Mark chapter 3, verse 8. That's what the southern part of Judah became known as. The entire book of Obadiah was a prophecy against the Edomites, prophesying their utter dissolution. Likewise, Jeremiah issued a stinging prophecy regarding their impending fall to the Babylonians in Jeremiah 49. Well, in Malachi's day, this fall had already taken place, and their demise was to be permanent according to verse 4. These Edomites would be known as the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Paul uses verses 2 and 3 in this passage to make his point in Romans chapter 9, verse 13, where he says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Esau was the father of the Edomites, while Jacob was the father of the Jews. Continuing now with verse 6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? And that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even until the going down by the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name. And a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say, The table of the Lord is polluted. And the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. He said also, Behold, what a weariness is it! And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye have brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye have brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. 
Well, that animal's blind. It'll make a good sacrifice down at the temple. Well, this was the practice of the priest with the sacrifices at their newly rebuilt temple. So much for the provisions of the Mosaic Law requiring unblemished sacrifices. We see that in Leviticus chapters 1-4. through 4. These people were bringing lame and sickly animals as sacrifices as well. Malachi proclaims in this passage that we just read that this practice is evil and contemptible. Malachi's words. Both the people bringing the sacrifices and the priests who accept them should be ashamed. In Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, reading, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed, and spread dung upon your faces even the dung of your solemn feast, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace. I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Well, these priests surely didn't get the big picture. Here's that talking to that they desperately needed, and it was extremely blunt in this passage. Verse 3 may just take your appetite away. It says, Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feast, and one shall take you away with it. Malachi, of course, here is referring to the internal excrement, the dung, from the sacrificed animals, which was ordinarily carried outside the camp for disposal after the sacrifice. Malachi's prophecy strongly suggests that their corrupt actions regarding their sacrificial practices are not meeting God's approval, not in any way. Quite frankly spoken here, they are disgracing the Levite tradition. Verse 8 proclaims that they are causing people in Israel to stumble because of their actions. Were these priests well-respected? According to verse 9, I guess not, it says, Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people. Now let's read beginning with verse 10. Have we not all one Father, hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange god. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacle of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have he done again. 
covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant? And did not he make one? Yet had he residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, Every one that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? These Jewish men were marrying young women of the land who worshipped false gods. Moreover, these folks here were apparently divorcing their old wives to make room for the new pagan worshipping wives. Verse 16 makes it clear that God despised this practice. To marry a pagan worshipping woman is to forsake God, because one is saying that it makes no difference who your God is. So you see... This practice wasn't just the actions of unbridled lust, but rather a forsaking of God himself. Perhaps Paul was thinking of this passage of scripture when he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18, the following, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? For what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Well, this issue of marrying these pagan women was tackled in Ezra chapters 9 and 10, and also in Nehemiah chapter 13, where they actually put these pagan worshipping women away, these, these uh, women who were not Jews. So John the Baptist makes an appearance in Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow, and the fatherless. 
and that turn aside the stranger from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 10, and also Luke chapter 7, verse 27, Jesus clearly quotes this passage and says that this messenger is, in fact, John the Baptist. I've written an article on, was John the Baptist Elijah? And you can go to the main page of BibleTrack.org and read that article. Be sure to look at the summary because it's rather significant to this passage of Scripture. It's very important for us to understand what Jesus said about John the Baptist being the forerunner of the Messiah. Mark also clearly identifies Jesus with this same prophecy in Mark chapter 1 verse 2. Now we find an occasion where Malachi accuses the people of robbing God. Beginning now with verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation, bringing all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, Ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, What have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. So, Israel is back, but they're not really back, at least not with the right attitude. Their hearts didn't really seem to be into nation rebuilding. We saw in chapter 1 that their sacrifices were intentionally substandard. That was a clear violation of Mosaic law. Now we see in this passage that they did not want to contribute to their very centerpiece of the national pride, the temple. They obviously did not want to pay the price of national restoration. Malachi's admonition to them here is simple. Just do the right thing. It's necessary to point out that in 535 B.C. when the exiles first began returning to Israel, they were very excited about their national prospects. Now that they've been back in their homeland for a century or so, 
they've lapsed back into the same frame of mind that caused their fall to the Babylonians in the first place. They'd lost their vision to recapture the spirit of the old Israel. Nominal service was really all they gave to God at this point. Malachi's words here are intended to fire the people back up as we see his very confrontational statement in verse 8 when he says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Then notice his words in verse 9. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Sometimes it just takes an in-your-face declaration to shake people up. In chapter 4, we're back to Elijah. Verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and he shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And he shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Well, we know who Elijah is. We see him in 1 Kings chapter 17. But what about the future? We already saw in chapter 3 that Jesus identifies the messenger there in that chapter as John the Baptist. But look at verses 5 and 6 in this chapter 4 regarding the coming of Elijah. Reading them again, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. While John the Baptist did introduce Jesus at the first advent, the nation of Israel subsequently rejected Jesus as their Messiah, at least at that time, and that's key to understanding the role of John the Baptist in this prophecy. Again, you really should take a look at the article that I've written on the identity of John the Baptist with regard to Elijah that's located on the main page of BibleTrack.org. The reference to the great and dreadful day of the Lord is surely addressing the battle of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 through 21. Therefore, certainly this reference must be the appearance of the two prophets in Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 14, that takes place before the Battle of Armageddon. It's obvious to most Bible students that one of the witnesses of Revelation chapter 11 must be Elijah. So Malachi's prophecy describes the ministry of the Messiah at his first and second advents. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.